and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. And a very good afternoon uh, in Nairobi to Huang Hongxiang, who joins us again on the show. Uh, Hongxiang is the founder and director of China House, which is a social enterprise that's focused on helping Chinese better integrate into Africa. And boy, is this guy in demand. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're so thrilled to have you back again, Hongxiang. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Well, people like Hongxiang, as I mentioned, are going to be in very high demand because the Chinese, well, despite all the progress that they've made in Africa, are going through what Prime Minister Li Keqiang mentioned are some growing pains. And this came back into the headlines uh, in the past, uh, I'd say, one or two weeks, actually, when uh, China's ambassador to Tanzania, Lu Xinsheng, he made some comments that really kind of, you know, spread very quickly across the social media, both in China and in, uh, you know, around the world. And he said, quote, our bad habits have followed us. And he really talked about how the behavior of some of the Chinese independent actors, and that is businessmen, individuals, are creating a bad reputation for all of the Chinese. Now, this is a, a narrative that we've been hearing for quite some time. And we're going to talk about it not just in the context of Tanzania, but also it's been a really interesting week. Uh, there's an editorial in the Daily News out of Tanzania, which says that China-Tanzania should address the trade imbalance. And this is another emerging problem that's coming, uh, both in Ghana and in Tanzania, where governments are becoming increasingly concerned about the massive size of the loans that are happening. And so here we see a very, very pro-China integration, pro-China engagement newspaper saying, you know what? It may be time to rethink this relationship. And then out of Business Day newspaper in Nigeria, there was a real stinging, stinging article from the paper itself called How China Hurts Africa Economies. Now, we posted this up on our Facebook page and Twitter feeds as well. And basically, it's about, I'd say, 25 paragraphs of just every bad thing China's ever done in Africa. And what makes this so interesting is that Everything that, that they wrote in this uh, Business Day article, everything is absolutely true. The problem is, is that's not put into a broader context, and that's what we're going to do today. So, Hongxiang, one of the things that you do is you advise Chinese companies, particularly on corporate social responsibility. Uh, you talk to them about your sustainable development. You're talking to them about how to better integrate into Africa. When you see the comments from your own prime minister, who talks about growing pains, and your ambassador to, to Tanzania, who talks about the bad habits that many Chinese are having, uh, you know, who have brought over to Africa, what is your thought in terms of how, uh, you know, I guess my, I'm, it's such a broad question, but I say, what's your reaction to that? Well, I want to say I'm really impressed when I saw the Ambassador Rhee's comment about like the China-Africa relationship and all the challenges there. Because if you ask almost all Chinese in Africa, they almost often they will agree with what Ambassador Rhee said. So there are many, many challenges facing the Chinese investment here in Africa. But it's my first time to actually see these kind of words coming out from like a Chinese ambassador. And I believe he needs to be very brave to be able to say this to the press, because for sure he needs to take up a lot of pressure and he needs to bear the risk of what he says. 
it also it seemed to me that there, there's some kind of little bit of a change of current or you know kind of change of direction in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs maybe because you know kind of before he spoke uh, Li Keqiang also um, also mentioned troubles for the first time you know kind of mentioned that that the, the, they faced difficulties so it seems like there, there's some kind of policy shift happened that it's now okay to discuss problems whereas before you were the people were just really limited to discussing win-win development. Um, Eric, is that is that the feeling you got as well? Well, you know, here I'm sitting in Vietnam, where there is not a lot of, you know, nice talk between the Chinese and the Vietnamese. And so it always surprises me that in Africa, you're seeing this shift, as you and I have spoken about in past podcasts, uh, to a much more more humble foreign policy and a more humble form of communication, which we're not seeing in here in Asia where we're seeing a very aggressive, very much more robust Chinese foreign policy, particularly against Japan, even with disputes with South Korea, certainly with the United States uh, and, and Vietnam and other partners over territorial disputes, over trade disputes and whatnot. So there is a... Of, you know, there is not a one-size-fits-all Chinese foreign policy today, as there as there might have been, and I think that's what's very interesting. Um, you, you know, you know, we're going to have Howard French on in, in very soon to, to come onto our show, and in his latest book, he talks mostly about uh, Chinese migration in Africa. And one of the the impressions that you get from reading his book, and this is again, it's not groundbreaking in many ways, but he just kind of packages it up in a nice, very digestible, understandable way is that there is no such thing as the Chinese in Africa. It's such a diverse population of people who come from so many different backgrounds, who have so many different agendas. And I think one of the big mistakes that people have in discussing the Chinese in Africa is they tend to think that everybody is over there some part of official trade mission who's under the auspice and control of the government. But at the end of the day, the government really doesn't have much uh, authority or control over any of these people. And Hong Xiang, I want to go back to a conversation that we had with you talking about poaching. And it was a story that you did for the Wits University China-Africa Reporting Project. And you really talked about these very low-skilled, very low-education, effectively Chinese peasants who live in the African countryside who are farmers and they are trading in uh, you know, a lot of the controversial contraband of wildlife and gold and all these other things that oftentimes give the Chinese these terrible reputations. I mean, you read about what the Chinese are doing uh, when it comes to ivory trading, and you think these are the biggest assholes in the world. And so I guess for me, I'd like you to hear about what your perspective is on the different populations. Who are the people that the ambassador was talking about who have brought their bad habits over? Well, first I want to say I really agree with Howard French's point about, like, there's no such thing as Chinese in Africa. And actually, we, I just had a discussion like with some people from the Xinhua agency in Beijing in Africa like two days ago, and they talked about the same thing. So when you have a huge population of Chinese here, there's chance that there would be some and more low, low educa- lowly educated and, well, sometimes a little problematic Chinese here. So there are Chinese here in Africa doing some illegal business, ivory trade, and and so on. And I would say those people are those relatively, like the education level is not that high, and it's more profit-driven individuals here rather than the state, Chinese state companies. Because when those people come here, 
the small, low, lowly educated Chinese people come here. All they want is profit. And they, a lot of time they come here, they just care about to get profit in as, as, as short time as possible. That's why they would do a lot of like illegal things. And I think those people are mainly the, the people the ambassador really talk about. But it's not only those people, because some of the things like ambassador really talk about are about the Chinese state companies actually. Uh, not necessarily state, but those Chinese big companies when it comes to the vicious competition. So it really depends, it, I would it, say. I guess it you does. You cannot de- really say which group is doing good. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's very clear. But Kobus, let me read you the first sentence of this business day. Uh, it, I'm not sure if it's an editorial. It doesn't, you know, Business Day is kind of weird on how they credit and source things, but it, it's an article in Business Day. Let me read you so you can get your reaction and then, uh, and then hear if you think, are we hitting a, a different tipping point? Because remember last year, uh, we heard from Sanusi Lamido, who wrote in the, foreign, in the Financial Times, very similar types of things. But how China hurts Africa, how China hurts Africa economies, this is the first line. From Nigeria to Uganda to Kenya, Chinese companies are hurting the African economy through a culture of bribery and corruption that has seen them salt away millions of dollars, proceeds from inflated contract sums, and other untoward deals that border on sleaze and bribery. I mean, really, you can't get any more kind of direct than that. And I'm wondering, as the relationship matures, and we're getting into this new phase of the China-Africa relationship, are we going to see the bad start to rise as much as the good? And what we're seeing out of Beijing, maybe, is an anticipation that this relationship is going to become far more complicated. So the Chinese diplomacy now is starting to kind of prepare for that. You know, I was struck by an interesting parallel. Um, and uh, another friend of, of of the podcast, Kai Shui, who's a, who's a lawyer in Beijing, um, who who works with a lot of of Chinese companies who are interested in, in investing in Africa. He recently wrote an op ed um, saying that. China, China might be cooling down on Africa a little bit, particularly on certain parts of Africa. Um, that certain parts of Africa, especially what he mentioned is the, the Sahel area, um, is actually it's just too hard to do business in. Um, and you know the and African governments uh, play fast and loose with contracts, and they're making life too hard for them, and they're actually starting to rethink their their the enthusiasm about Africa but so you know if there is a cooling down it might be coming from both sides um, I think also that I, fo- I found the the business day um article very disingenuous yeah. um, because I mean you know it's not like Africa didn't have a culture of sleaze and corruption before the Chinese arrived you know um, so you know it's, it's a little bit like you remember that horrible story a few years ago where these um, these UN peacekeepers were in the Congo and then after a while they started their own kind of fiefdom and they were you know kind of using slave labor to, to mine gold and exporting the gold illegally and so on it seems that there's certain kind of Structures within African life that that sometimes brings out the worst in 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 the way that 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 companies operate. Um, you know, kind of, and, and that you know, kind of, that's a very broad thing to say, and it might be very unfair. But I think there is one. One needs to look at why, you know, these kind of unhappy 
patterns keep recurring in Africa, not only among Chinese companies, but also lots of other foreign companies and also African companies. Well, Hongxiang, taking into account what Cobus has just said, and the fact that you work with Chinese companies to try to improve their communication, and you said integration into Africa, one of the things that Cobus and I kind of sit here and wonder about with, with an enormous amount of, of just disbelief is how tone-deaf so many Chinese companies and even government agencies can be in terms of, of communicating in Africa and talking with people and engaging and having a real normal dialogue instead of you know, focusing primarily on elites and official channels and whatnot. So what do you think that you know, Chinese organizations have to do in order to improve this communication so that you know, as crappily written as the Business Day article was, in one sense it does give voice to a frustration that people are starting to have over the fact that we can't deny that there's corruption, there's illegal immigration, there's illegal wildlife trafficking, there's all these horrible things that are happening. Sure, as Cobus mentioned, they happened already in Africa, but you know, it's different when you do it to yourselves and foreigners come and do it to you. So let me get your thoughts on, you know, when you talk to Chinese companies, what's your impression on their willingness to adapt to a new, potentially more hostile uh, environment in Africa? First thing I want to say is a lot of the Chinese, although those bribery things, they, 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 they are true in some way, but a lot of the Chinese companies, in my experience, they do not like the way it is right now at all. For example, this kind of like corruption and bribery things for Chinese private company is a huge risk and a burden for them because they just don't have so much money and so much like government relationship for them to advance in such way. And even a lot of the state companies, they also don't like this kind of, of, of like situation. The, the reality is like they feel there's nothing they can do about it. You either try to do business here and you adapt this, this way or you, you leave. So that's the, that's the reality right now. And in terms of communication, my impression is like due to a lot of like cultural reasons, like Chinese companies or Chinese embassies or any kind of like Chinese people usually in, in Africa is not, they are not very open and very, it's not very easy for them to speak out loud. That's why I feel like Ambassador Reese, like his response to the press is very impressive. There are several reasons for that. One thing I, I would say is like the Chinese culture, because in China we have a saying like, if you are doing the right thing, you don't have to explain to other people. People will see it. So a lot of the Chinese companies, they will feel, oh, we are doing good. That's all. We don't need to tell other people we are doing good. And the other thing is like, there's a high level of mistrust from the Chinese side to the foreign and local press and NGO and so on. That's why, like, after Ambassador Liu Liu, after he, he, he gave the response to the press, a lot of the Chinese people I met, they actually say, well, Ambassador Liu said it's absolutely true. However, he should not say it in this way. Why? Because a lot of, like, the foreign press and local press and local political party and, for example, like, foreign government, they may use this as a weapon to attack the China, like, the Chinese image in Africa. So that you will actually create more challenges for the Chinese investment to develop well in Africa, and somehow I think, this risk yeah, is I, there. I, 
I sorry to interrupt. I think that's completely right. Um, yeah. You know, kind of. I was I was reading reporting on on his comments in the Guardian, um, the UK Guardian, um, and it was really fascinating to read through the comments because you know, kind of, all of these Guardian readers saying, like, "Well, Europe was very bad, but now you see the Chinese are admitting that they're even worse than Europe." You know, so it, it immediately gets seized on in this very self-serving kind of way. Um, you know, so so I think it, it's it's in a way a kind of an almost can't you know can't win situation um you know either people you know they they criticize because they don't they don't admit failings or problems or they get criticized because they do yeah boy this is a story that on twitter was the same thing that people you know particularly westerners just took and ran with it uh you know when when we have good news about the chinese in africa it doesn't get retweeted that much but on these kinds of stories people are just waiting to pounce on it so I can see that, you know, exactly what Hong Xiang and what people were saying was on the one hand, it's great. But on the other hand, you know, it does play into some narratives. My suggestion, though, is that the more the Chinese do this, the more that they kind of be upfront and honest, it will actually not get as much traction because it's so rare today that you hear this type of admission. Then people really go, ah, but it's a little bit like if you start talking more and more and more and engaging people and having real life discussions with them, uh, it won't be as big of a deal. Uh, you know, certainly people in the West are going to believe what they think. I mean, I'm looking through the comments right now in The Guardian, and they're just ridiculous. I mean, it's just that's that same neocolonialism stuff that we've been uh, trying to discourage for, for quite some time. Hong Xiang, what's your thoughts on that? I absolutely agree with what you say. That's why I say Ambassador Liu is very great, because I agree with you that the more the Chinese come out and talk and say those things and admit that they are problems, they are challenges, they are some people doing something not very good, it will actually make that, that like, you actually more and more build an understanding and trust between the Chinese and the world. And it will actually show that Chinese has become more and more confident because every country, like no matter like US in, in Africa, every country in Africa, there are some problems with their companies as well. So you are able to come out and admit there are problems. Doesn't mean like you are absolutely bad. It actually means you are you you are you are good and you are being better and better. So I absolutely agree with what you You said. know, it's funny, and, and as a Laowai myself, you know, as a foreigner, um, you know, there's a, a trend in the past couple of years in Beijing and in Shanghai of Western young people behaving really badly and then getting busted on social media. So you'll have drunk Americans and drunk Brits kind of, you know, stumbling through the streets or in, in, in some cases even raping uh, a, a young woman in Beijing and they're, they're caught on, on media and, and people do it. And what's so interesting is that you don't don't see in this kind of meme, you know, on social media in China, a condemnation of the entire United States or the entire British kind of entity or any kind of government. You just see that these are foreigners behaving badly. And I think one of the things we have to move beyond in Africa is a, is a transposition from seeing kind of individual actors, individuals who do bad things, and then kind of extrapolating that all the way to all Chinese or China. And so distinguishing between yeah. the two, just as what we're seeing in this trend in, on Chinese social media of foreigners behaving badly uh, and, and just kind yeah. of you know, identifying I, as that. 
I completely agree because also in Africa, that that has a sinister side in in the sense that it's frequently uses as as um, as this, as this excuse to actually just shake Chinese people down. Um, you know, so a friend of mine um, is work is doing uh, field work. She's an anthropologist and she's doing field work um, at China malls in Johannesburg. And among the the Chinese business people there, there's the slang. Um, you know, where where they they talk about oh they were caught for driving driving while Chinese you know kind of so they, they just get stopped by the police and shaken down simply because there's a Chinese person in the car um, and for, and sometimes it's it's user the the kind of the the excuse is oh we need to check your car for you know kind of for for smuggled or you know co- you know, um, counterfeit goods or ivory or whatever you know um, but then but then it actually ends up just being a demand for a bribe yeah. so you know and I think I think that actually happens in all right through Africa. In fact, I think, you know, the, the ambassador himself actually alluded to that in Tanzania as well. Well, Kobus, um, as you may know, we actually have a couple listeners inside the Chinese Foreign Ministry. I've received emails from them. Um, and they've asked to not be named, but we do have some ears inside the Chinese foreign ministry. So I will echo what uh, what Huang Hongxiang is saying as well, is that we want to encourage Chinese diplomats and Chinese officials to have these kinds of dialogues in order to be able to engage people in discussion and, and not to hide behind the walls and the press releases and the official statements, uh, because honest kind of dialogue will do more to defeat the negative comments on the Guardian website than I think anything else. And really, robust dialogue. Interestingly, a good template for this, by the way, Hong Xiang, is a, a, a gentleman by the name of Bill Plummer. And Bill Plummer is the North American spokesman for Huawei. And he has been really incredible at really sticking it back to the U.S. Congress uh, to, you know, in the discussion over Huawei and, and, and cybersecurity in the United States. And I think what's interesting is we're starting to see the first emergence of Chinese companies and the Chinese diplomats starting to talk back and starting to engage in the discussion. And I think that's what's been missing for a number of years now. And I, I hope, I, like you, Hongxiang, I, I hope it continues and to, to do more. So uh, Hongxiang is playing his part in all of this because he's actually engaging in this dialogue on the ground, working with Chinese companies in Kenya and, and across Eastern and Southern Africa, uh, trying to, again, to facilitate that integration. Hongxiang, if people want to follow what you're doing and the work that you're doing, what's the best way they can stay in touch with you? Well, the best way is to look at our website, www.chinagoingout.org, or you can look at a Facebook page called China House Kenya. That's facebook.com slash China House Kenya. I really encourage you to to follow what Hong Xiang's doing. He's one of the most interesting young Chinese people kind of doing work in Africa right now, and particularly on the corporate CSR side. So it's very, very interesting. We had him on an earlier show to talk about uh, some of the solar power projects he's working on in Tanzania. Earlier, he's also done some excellent reporting on Chinese wildlife smuggling, particularly of ivory and rhino horn uh, in southern Africa. So uh, he is just, uh, he's very impressive, and we're just thrilled that you had a chance to come back and join us on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. And Kobus, if people want to follow what you're doing, what's the best way for them to stay in touch with you? 
Um, I'm always on our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Um, and I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. You know, Kobus and I are updating the Facebook page almost 18 hours a day now. Uh, Kobus from South Africa, me over here in Asia. And so it's really a fantastic way to kind of use it as a news feed to follow all the latest events that are going on in Africa and in China and China and Africa. And we update it almost every, we have posts that are crossing every three hours or so. So just a little heads up, you know, Facebook has changed their algorithm so that it doesn't put it into your feed. You know, we have 200,000 followers on the page, but our, our posts are actually seen by relatively few people. So if you really want to see what's going on, I recommend you go check out the page itself, facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, where I'm also tweeting the top China Africa headlines and getting into some really interesting discussions with people, you can find me at eolander, E-O-L. A-N-D-E-R. And of course, if you want this podcast, we're on Stitcher, SoundCloud, the BlackBerry Network, and the easiest way and the best way is on iTunes. Just search for us at China Africa Project. So that'll do it for this edition of the show. We'll be back again soon with another episode of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.